Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Mike McPeak, and Jeff and Julie aren't here today, but we have a special guest with us, uh, Brian Hall. Uh, he writes for uh, Read, uh, Read White, Read Write, um, and uh, he writes about smart social mo- mobile web and how it is rapidly reconstructing markets, industries, business models, and relationships around the world. And he's also the author of a book called Love in the Time of Caller ID. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, see, the reason we, uh, we, we kind of uh, came about, the, this interview kind of came about because uh, you had posted, uh, I, I follow uh, Read Write on uh, Twitter, and one of your articles popped up, uh, I think Sunday, uh, it was uh, Seven Great Works that Inspired Geeks to Change the World, and I'm kind of going down the list, and I'm thinking, wow, some of these would be great subjects for our podcast, and you know, I kind of tweeted something out, and then you and I got to talking, and you know, and we thought it would just be good to have you on the podcast here, because you got a lot of ideas that uh, uh, about tech and sci-fi and how it kind of relates to the world and that's that's kind of the way we approach our podcast here we kind of look at the work of fiction look at the uh, the tech within it and you know does it seem possible do we have it now is it possible in the future and we just kind of look at it that way and um like I uh, say, this one here, uh, it had some interesting stuff here. And you've written some other articles. Um, one that, uh, another one that caught my attention was uh, 10 Great Sci-Fi Films That Got the Future Wrong. And we've actually done about four out of those ten so far. And, <laughs> and this week we just did Soylent Green. So, But like I say, you, uh, you were writing about a lot of things that just kind of gelled with what we were uh, talking about. And um, it just seemed like it would be a good match um, for uh, for our show, yeah, I um I, I always like writing about because uh, I write about technology all the time, but uh, how it influences pop culture or how pop pop culture sort of ultimately influences technology. I, I, I always enjoy doing those articles. Well, yeah, and I've kind of called science fiction um, science's playground because I think it's one of those places where you know I, I sometimes wonder if it's a chicken and egg type thing that. Which, if uh, science fiction hadn't been out there planting the seeds in some scientist's mind, where would we be today as far as technology goes? Right. There are a lot of, you know, interesting ideas on on how much science fiction sort of influences the future. There's also, I think, sometimes just sort of notions just gel. For example, I was um, – I have children and they like to watch – Harry Potter, they read the books, they watched the movies, and you know they always have those um, newspapers in Harry Potter. I think it's called the Daily Prophet, and you have the little, little sort of moving pictures. And I notice now that I have Instagram and it has video, that it looks exactly like that to me. It looks just like those Harry Potter newspapers with the moving pictures. And I don't know if the Harry Potter series influenced people, but it was just sort of one of those ideas where the time was right. Yeah, I mean, we, we've looked at uh, some works of science fiction and, uh, you know, ones that were pretty far out, even some like, um, uh, oh, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs and some of the H.G. Uh, the, uh, Wells and some of those and some of the things that they were predicting way back then, you know, are starting to come to, uh, you know, fruition right now that, uh, uh, you know, we're starting to see of it, uh, uh, things about it. Uh, 
I'm trying to remember which one it was we did, but they were kind of talking about the uh, the World Wide Web before that was even a thing. Um, and, oh, wow. You know, yeah, you know, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, just this global communication system. And, um, you know, there's sometimes that they get that stuff right, and then there's other times that, uh, you know, it just goes horribly wrong because, you know, everyone's kind of asking, where's our flying cars at right now? Uh, <laughs> right. Well, we have to want to a lot of, yeah. What's that? Right. A lot of the physical technologies are taking a lot longer to develop. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I guess I would kind of, uh, I, I kind of would start, uh, want to start by um, wondering what kind of, you know, science fiction did you read growing up and did you have any, you know, particular favorite authors? Um, most uh, most of what I read growing up was not science fiction, actually, though I, I loved watching uh, Star Trek, the original series, and, you know, Next Generation. Um, when I, I really started reading science fiction heavily was during the, uh, the period that really started seeing things like the cyberpunk movement, uh, William Gibson, uh, Sterling, um, Stevenson. Uh, folks like that. That's when I, I really started getting into science fiction. Okay, and you know, so I, I think you kind of answered the one question I had: Star Wars or Star Trek? But um, it, <laughs> no, I actually, um, I, um, uh, I, I don't choose between them both. I, I, I love them both. Uh, I still can remember who I was with. And where I was at when I first saw Star Trek as a kid, um, so that one that was pretty influential. Yeah, that's that's kind of the same way with me. With me, because uh, I was about four years old when it uh, started on TV, and my brother, who is about fourteen years older than me, uh, would uh, would sit down. We would watch it together. So yeah, I kind of remember that. That was my first, you know, uh, influence with science fiction. Right. Um, and you know, uh, I watched on television. We used to get you know back where I grew up, uh, just a few channels, and so there was it was always reruns of science fiction, great science fiction shows. There was Star Trek. There was another one. I I used to love it. I think it was called Space nineteen ninety nine. Um, I'm pretty sure it had Martin Landau in it. Um, I haven't seen that show in decades. <laughs> that was another one that sort of got me into in you know the science fiction realm. Yeah, now that you mention it, that that one does ring a bell. I I don't remember watching it, but it does kind of ring a you know remind me of a uh, of it. I may have watched it once or twice, and I'm just trying to remember what the uh, the plot of it was. Yeah, my um, there were you know now they came before my time. I was very young and saw them all in reruns, but. Uh, Maybe it was the the hope of going to the moon, but the '60s and then the early '70s had some great stuff. There was Star Trek, the Space 1999, Lost in Space, um, Outer Limits. Uh, those were those were. Um, I think for science fiction, that era uh, was was one of the best in the, on television. And then it took a long time before it uh, it got great again, which I think it is now on, on the pop culture TV side, at least. Right. And, you know, the other thing I've always kind of thought about science fiction is it's kind of a place for people to explore social commentary without actually addressing the issue. Um, Because I remember um, 
or there was a, that uh, kind of uproar about the first interracial kiss on Star Trek, which I, if I remember, it was the first interracial kiss on television, period. Um, so science fiction has kind of broken grounds like that, but I think I do remember a star episode of Star Trek where uh, I'd have to go back and find it, but where they had the people who was uh, half black and half white. Well, the right. one who was black on the right side was superior to the one that was black on the left side. Right. Yeah, and that was their kind of way of exploring, you know, racism and really, I mean, what. And and everyone else is going. Well, you're you're the same. And they go. Oh no, we're different because you know they right. would point to that stuff. And so that was. Um, I think that was a way for them to explore it without actually you know lighting the powder keg of the actual issue. But you could explore that stuff and and think about it. Yeah, I wonder sometimes if science fiction helps move the sort of the culture, the populace forward, even on the. Uh, when it has a story that isn't necessarily focusing on an issue, I'm trying to think of, say, some of the works of Robert Heinlein where people, his stories are great. He's looking into, you know, he's looking at these interesting ideas of, you know, traveling, uh, you know, through space or living forever potentially. Um, and a lot of people today sort of look at him as, you know, I don't know, maybe a conservative or something like that. Uh, but some of his books had a lot of sort of, for example, strong female characters. I mean, when you think of of a movie like 2001 A Space Odyssey, I wrote about that. Um, you know, the women, if I recall correctly, were all stewardesses, you know, um, whereas, you know, Robert Heinlein's book, and he may have been viewed as a conservative today, you know, a lot of times there were, you know, there were sort of, uh, sort of issues of, of sexual mores and, and, and what people were able to do that I think were a lot more open and progressive than than a lot of people necessarily give him credit for. And I also think that that wasn't really his focus. I mean, unless maybe he was tricking me because I'm talking about it now. But, you know, there really is. I think science fiction does have that power to move move us forward. Well, and, you know, some of uh, uh, Heinlein's stuff, I always thought it uh – uh, I always took from it, uh, especially like uh, Starship Troopers, was about uh, people's responsibility to society. Uh, because in there, he had you had um, if you want um, if you wanted to become a citizen, you had to do military uh, duty. Right. And, and with him, it was all about you know focusing on society and the greater good of society. And that was something that I you know taken away from that book is. What is the individual responsibility to society? Everyone is worried about individual rights, but we should also be worried about the individual's responsibility to the society. And I think he right. explained that in a way that you know kind of made sense, and you know it certainly resonated with me. Right. No, that's a great point. I I, I agree. I think those are those larger issues. Just uh, I think what you said earlier. You know, it's it's sort of like our playground. We get to explore these ideas in a safer setting because, you know, we're, we're putting it in the future or in another world, for example. Well, yeah. And, you know, I think another issue that, um, you know, I've taken from science fiction is always kind of questioning the government's, um, or the ruling powers, uh, motivation and what they're doing. Um, you know, I think one book that, uh, or series of books that kind of made a difference with me was reading the foundation series by Asimov and kind of questioning, you know, are we being influenced and how and where where is it all going? I mean, that kind of you know. Now, when I look at government, I'm always kind of wondering what is their their end goal or what are they trying to achieve by that? Uh, either that, or I'm just paranoid. I, I don't know which. 
Right, right. Well, and with some of these issues about NSA surveillance and this prism, you know, those are relevant today, though. It's funny. I think I some of my articles I get a lot of uh, strong pushback on because I usually take a different tack. Um, I think uh, we've gotten more open and more progressive and individuals have gotten more empowered. Um, uh, I think I wrote uh, when I was doing a discussion on Gibson's Neuromancer. He, well, it wasn't in the book, I believe, but he was the one who said the line, the, the famous line about, you know, the future has arrived only, um, uh, you know, it's not, it's unevenly distributed. And, and a lot of people think that's, you know, just brilliant. And they all sort of accept this sort of idea of a dystopian near future. And I think, you know, that's actually wrong. I, I mean, our technology has gotten, much more widely available, much cheaper than than we ever imagined. Um, I mean, it was only, I think, in the 90s that I think it was Neil Stevenson's Diamond Age. I think that was the book where the little girl had this incredible book that really I consider one of today's tablets. And the entire story really hinged on the fact that there were only a couple of these things. Well, fact is we already have hundreds of millions of them you know 10 years later um so i I think the the dystopian visions are sometimes a little overdone well yeah i mean uh i kind of marvel sometimes i think i may have said it here or i may have said it on some other podcasts that i've been on you know this is a wonderful time think about it to do what we're doing right now five uh you know ten or even five years ago would have required you know a recording studio and all this other stuff and i'm sitting down here in my basement with a laptop a headset on uh and an internet connection uh talking to you know you, you're in wisconsin uh i've talked to people in australia all the way around the world and it's just the uh, i think it's people keep talking about uh technology internet separating us but i think it's actually bringing us together because uh you know i've met people that i wouldn't have had the chance to meet before and talk with them and exchange ideas right no that that that's completely true i i absolutely believe that um you know, there's already a billion people almost using Android phones and a half a billion with iPhones. And um, we have Skype and, and broadband. And, uh, I mean, just the connectivity is, is, is pretty amazing. You know, I mean, we, we, we sort of have lost out on having, you know, our flying cars and our cool, you know, uh, under, undersea um, communities where you know where we you see know, labs but um but on the on the connectivity level i mean it's it's we're so far ahead of where i think even most people most science fiction writers had, would have envisioned well yeah and i was uh trying to help out a, a friend of mine uh i've got one of these old edison amberola record players that plays the cylindrical records and she had some uh records that her grandfather recorded and no way to play it so she sent it to me now it didn't work out i didn't have the right kind of record player for it but i told her you know you'll stop thinking about this for a minute we're taking a record that was made probably about 100 years ago uh, in a time when people didn't know if you knew somebody more than 100 miles away from you that was probably rare uh, but you know now right. we're talking to people around the world and we're trying to take this piece of 100 year old technology using modern stuff and trying to you know uh make it work and trying to salvage it and and bring it back to life and you know like i i i'm just i'm more positive about the future i do have a problem i know we cover a lot of dystopian uh 
uh, fair on our podcast here, but um, I think we had, uh, you know, I. I think we should try to work in a little bit more often, and we try to some more, you know, positive stuff. Right. I um, I wonder sometimes if now it's just too easy to to do the dystopian thing, or or if you write something positive, you know, it, it, maybe that's harder to have drama in it. You know, there's probably a reason why most television shows now are cop shows, for example, or forensic scientists. You, you know, it's easy to show the bad stuff because it's, it's more dramatic. Um, um, and so maybe that is a challenge for a lot of uh, science fiction writers to, uh, to uh, try to think of how the world gets significantly better in the future. Uh, I think one of the reasons, and I think there's great payoff. I mean, I think one of the reasons people still love Star Trek um, especially the original series and Next Generation, I mean, really showed people working together, a, a, you know, a positive society, trying to make the world a better place and go out and discover life elsewhere. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it's a tough challenge, but if you succeed like Star Trek did, you know, you're beloved for generations. Yeah. You know, and Star Trek is a beloved, uh, you know, franchise, and I, and I love it. Uh, I've watched it. Uh, I, the only p- uh, part of the Star Trek universe I haven't really watched yet is the Enterprise stuff, and I'm trying to get into that and get that watched. But otherwise, I think I've pretty much seen everything. But you know, I guess the problem I always kind of had with the the Star Trek future was that you know they, uh, I think basically they said money had become useless, and I. I think I have trouble with a society that can't place some sort of a value on what a person does or what you produce. It may not have to be money, but just to be, uh, live in something where everything is bountiful, I don't know. I kind of have a hard time swallowing that. You know, that that could be true, though. I mean, I do marvel at some of the technologies we have today. I mean, uh, these now have 3D printers for $1,000 where you can print out – you know, I think people are printing out things like guitars and cases for their iPhones. Imagine in 20 years what we could print out, and uh, perhaps we would be able to print out food, for example, um, uh, or, or or something like that. And and who knows? Maybe the abundance, you know, maybe it really will work out. It, it is kind of hard to imagine a society or a future where there's so much that. There's no sort of separation of value or at least monetary value just because it's not even necessary. It is kind of hard to imagine that. But with some of the technologies we have, you know, I mean, uh, you know, with an iPhone, I can connect to the world. In 20 years, maybe I can print out, you know, with my $100 printer everything I need for my house. And um, um, who knows where that leads us to. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think I heard somewhere that they were working on a uh, a 3D printer that would print out a pizza. It didn't sound real appetizing. It would, like, print down the crust, and then it would print the uh, sauce on top, and I don't think it got any meat on it. But it sounded a little... It was tofu or something, right, soy product or Yeah, something. it didn't sound good, but it's, it's a start. But, you know, you mentioned 3D printers, and, you know... Um, what about you know? That's kind of maybe the downside or the the part that uh, society is having the hardest time adapting to with tech is things like with a 
3D printer, uh, digital rights management uh, becomes a nightmare because what if somebody is able to print out, or uh, even like um, uh, like gun control, even what if somebody is able to print out a gun and use it that wouldn't be registered, wouldn't be traceable? Um, you know that there is the can of worms that tech does open up, and you know as a society we got to figure out how to address those issues too. Oh no, definitely. I um, you know, you make. I'm sure I haven't read as many sci-fi works as you, but I'm now trying to think. You know, some of these issues I don't know if they were even addressed in science fiction, where you know you could print out anything, so you know, proverbially, and um, well, hey, suddenly we now all have guns that we can just print out and shoot. You know, shoot one another. I mean, I don't even know if, you know, some of the ramifications of our technologies we have now have almost, are so great, they've almost escaped even science fiction. Yeah, you know, and yeah, the thing, because, you know, some of these things you just don't see coming until somebody, you know, points out these things. Um, You know, like even, uh, you know, even like right now, uh, uh, patent uh, lawsuits and copyright infringement um you know there's a lawsuit uh i haven't heard how it's going lately but there was a uh a, a patent holding company otherwise known as a patent troll held a patent for podcasting or they claimed they had it for podcasting uh, and now you know they want to get you know a royalty one way or another from some people and they were su- suing like uh adam carolla and uh there was about three different podcasting networks or you know people that they were they were suing but i mean you know that's an issue too is um people want to you know make money doing these things but how do you do it that doesn't impact or you know squash other parts of the uh, of the society right right like um you know maybe 20 years ago or so or 40 i could have said um oh you know computers were all mainframes and giant and i said oh no they're going to get so small that we'll you know we'll be swallowing them and made a patent on that well i didn't actually help get us to that point you know <laughs> or maybe i did but i'm not necessarily sure i should I, I, I maybe can make a story out of it, but should I have a patent on that idea when it finally comes to fruition? I don't think so. So uh, hopefully they do change some of those patent laws. Well, yeah, one would hope because I mean, but you know, maybe I should be on this because I think like twenty or thirty years ago, I kind of had this notion of uh, you know projecting three D by. Uh, how to do it, like uh, aiming laser lights at each other uh, in a kind of an arena type thing so that, you know, the light would collide in such a way that you'd have three-dimensional holographic figures there. Well, hey, I had an idea. Maybe I ought to be getting some money for this. Or or maybe you should just let society run with it and see where we go with it from there. But, you know, there's a lot of landmines here once we start getting into uh, the the tech of things because it has opened up all kinds of different possibilities. And I think society as a whole just doesn't know how to react to it sometimes. Right. And this uh, probably will just get exacerbated because, you know, you can have thousands of followers on Instagram or on Twitter and, and be connected with anyone in the world and somebody suggests something and that sparks an idea and you state it and then somebody else takes your idea and runs with it and you know where did that you know where did the idea come from it almost becomes impossible to track you know trace its trace its roots in a sense so um yeah i mean it's you know magical 
times that we're you know we're living in, and it, like I say it's it, it's good and it's bad. It, it produces all kinds of you know possibilities. But um, well, even like um, I read your latest article today. Um, it's time to hack City Hall. Um, about and I think one of the things you were talking about was um, there are some of the things people would like to do would be. Uh, I guess make it real short. Open sourcing government or giving government open source tools to be able to manage uh, manage itself or uh, work with its constituents. Right. Uh, that's that was sort of the hope is that you know we're all we're all connected. We have these amazing tools. I can uh, take my um, iPad for example and download. Uh, you know, some great works of fiction and have it instantly and begin reading. And yet our government is still operating with, you know, at best 1970s technologies, it seems like. So, you know, was, we need to sort of figure out ways of, 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 of sort of pushing what we all have in, in our, even just in our homes, not even in big businesses, but in our homes and kind of getting those technologies into, into government, you know, mobile and, uh, smartphone apps and internet access and you know twenty four seven connectivity those sorts of things. Well, even for a rural part of the country like where I live out here, to be able to a government to use you know open source tools or the cloud or whatever to help manage costs and uh, to be able to connect with voters and you know maybe become more efficient, maybe use the taxpayers' money. Uh, hopefully more efficiently. I mean, I see lots of possibilities there. How they play out is going to be rather interesting. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, places are uh, just connected so differently. You know, that reminds me, Mike, I did a story recently on Google's Project Loon, which is their thought of, of putting these uh, specialized balloons up in the stratosphere and and um, get using and, and using them to provide internet signals in in mostly in southern the southern hemisphere, um, Africa, parts of South America where there's really just poor internet connectivity. And you know, um, I always love those ideas that it seem to combine something really bold and futuristic with like old technology. And you know, that's really what I mean. That's really what Google's trying to do, use balloons with, you know, transceivers on them and just have them float up into the sky and give us all Internet. So I think that was pretty cool. Well, it's kind of um, uh, Internet meets steampunk or something like that. <laughs> right, right. That's exactly it. I, I, uh, um, not that I, I, I'm saying I, I favor steampunk novels necessarily, but it's always fun to see those um, those examples where – there's some old technology that, that sort of found this sort of incredible new use. You know, you were, I mean, like maybe, maybe if you found some new use, uh, you said your friend's grandparents' records. Um, you know, th- that's always just fun to, fun to imagine of, of sort of reusing these old technologies for some, you know, great ideas. Well, and I got kind of uh, excited about uh, that, that Loon project because uh, um a company in South Dakota is going to be building the balloons for that Raven Industries, and you know, anytime we can bring some business to South Dakota and you know help the state out, I, you know, I get excited about that uh, too. Um, I'm kind of a 
cheerleader for the state. Um, sometimes I, you know, I, I, I grew up here. I'm very proud of it. And so when we do something like that, I get excited and just, uh, you know, that our part of the country can make a contribution to the advancement of, of technology and the, the internet. You know, it just, it, it, it makes me feel a little warm on the inside. Well, that's great. You know, and I think that's a good point because, you know, there are some serious issues about where our tech is made, how it's made, you know, is it beneficial, for example, for America that, um, for say all of Apple's products essentially are made in in China. You know, there's some economic downsides to that. Jobs, uh, it's a jobs issue. But on the other hand, it's also just really cool when you flip it around. When you know a company in South Dakota makes these balloons, which could be used to help bring internet to you know Southern Africa. I mean, that that's pretty awesome in a sense. Well, yeah, and you know, one thing, uh, especially like was about a year ago, I think, when they were uh, Apple was taking some heat for their uh, uh, plants in in China. Well, it wasn't their plants; it was uh, uh, I forget who their manufacturer was. Um, Foxconn. Yeah, they were. You know, they were taking some heat, and Apple kind of seemed to be the lightning rod for all this. And they were talking about the worker conditions, and there was probably some tweaking to be done. But you know, they were comparing what those people were making to what we were making. Well. I want everyone to try and do the best that they can, but I think one thing they kind of need to keep in mind is that, you know, they kind of talk about the exploitation of workers, but you know, we've managed to increase their work, their lifestyle by what we've done. And, you know, at some point their lifestyle, you know, will probably be, you know, uh, come up to ours. Then we'll have to move somewhere else for cheaper labor. But the thing is, we're always raising somebody else's lifestyle hopefully uh you know bringing you know right. money and and technology and to help improve their the way that they live so i i don't take the negative aspect that we're exploiting workers i, I i'm hoping that you know we're, we're treating them fairly but i'd like to look at it as we're trying to raise their um way of living uh, and then we'll move on to the point where hopefully everybody can uh, do better globally Right. I mean, you know, I, I, I certainly uh, am not going to knock anyone who wants to um, focus on Apple. It's such a big, wealthy company and, and make sure Apple's treating its workers right and, and, and working with its suppliers so their workers are treated right and so its products are more recyclable and reusable. But I, I overall do agree with what you're saying, that, um, that these efforts typically raise people people's um, uh, standard of living and which sort of increases their happiness, increases their lifespan. Um, over, uh, on an aggregate level, it usually is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, even in this country, <clears throat> excuse me, even in this country, I mean, we had, uh, we've gone through our phases because, uh, you know, it was poor people who, you know, like moved to South Dakota here. My, my grandpa, uh, grandfather moved here in 1886, I think it was, and, you know, he didn't have a lot of money. Uh, but, and, you know, and we're not like, you know, rich, but our lifestyle isn't bad. I think there's lots of places in the world that wouldn't mind trading, you know, what we have for what they have. And, um and like I said, I may not drive the fanciest of cars, but I do. I'm really appreciative of what we do have. I would like to have more. Who doesn't? But um, you know, we've done well, and I hope that you know, by with technology and and you know, science and everything else, that we can uh, improve everyone and uh, uh, give everyone a chance in the world to succeed. Right. Right. 
And I, you know, I, I, I agree with you. And I think if in the seventies and eighties, and now in some of today's movies, these dystopian futures, I think kind of um, who knows? Maybe they helped us and pushed us in the right direction. But uh, I think sometimes they missed some of the uh, the big picture stuff, which is you know maybe it has improved people's lives in the aggregate. Uh, do you have uh, anything off the top of your head that you would, uh, you know, uh, along that lines, or you think just in general? What What do you mean, like uh, like an example of? Yeah. Oh, um, no, um, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think as I mentioned earlier in the, the Diamond Age, um, Stevenson's work. You know, the the little girl. Um, had one of the very few tablets, or I, that's what I'm call, going to call it. I don't remember now what it was called. Well, you know, we actually have hundreds of millions of these. Or, um, you know, I, I, I must confess, I, I love Neuromancer, but um, it's pretty bleak, and everyone's, you know, sort of bad. <laughs> and um, they, you know, uh, this idea of sort of jacking into cyberspace. Well. You know, maybe it is bad that uh, we now have smartphones and we're all staring into them. But, um, you know, there's a lot of good that comes from it. There's a lot of connectivity that comes from it. And so I, I think um, I, I think where some of these authors missed out on was this, this sort of notion of some one sort of giant computer mainframe that's sort of surveilling us and controlling us and looking over us. And they extended that out by saying, well, in the future, it's going to be like that, but everyone will have a computer. Well, everyone maybe practically now does have a computer, but it sort of empowered us. And I think they sort of missed that that aspect of it, the, you know, the empowering aspect of it. I mean, even in a book like Neuromancer, you know, it was almost just the addictive nature of, of cyberspace, for example. Or um, in Snow Crash, um, I think that was called the Metaverse – um, there, there was there was a lot of you know negative aspects to it. As much as I love those books, um, that I think um, uh, missed missed out on a lot of the, the, the positives. Well, even last night when we were talking about um, Soylent Green, um, Jeff and Julie pointed out that they had the populations about right. Um, I forget what the numbers were, but they had the population for what the United States is now. Because I think that movie was set. In 1999, I believe, um, right. and so they had the population of New York and the United States about right. But what they got completely wrong was the living conditions, because they were predicting that the the whole world would be polluted. And they, they never spelled out in the book what led to this point. Maybe there was some. Uh, well, I guess they said it was global warming, if I remember correctly. Um, but you know, they thought that we were going to be, you know, uh, the Earth is going to be warm. We're going to be swallowing greenhouse gases. We're going to have people sleeping on the stairs. Um, you know, we're going to be to the reduced to the point of cannibalism to survive. And you know, that part they got completely wrong. They got the numbers right, but their outlook was completely wrong. Right, and you know, I mean, I hate to um, judge authors too harshly because, in some sense, it could propel us. So, for example, um, Soylent Green got got so much wrong well you know i overall i believe we will um improve life that we will resolve a lot of the negative aspects probably most of them of say global warming but you know i don't want to knock a writer for 
I guess I shouldn't for writing a book now where 40 years from now Earth is just completely bleak because we did nothing, say, to resolve global warming. Well, if we do resolve it, um, you know, that's great, and I think we will, but – you know, I, I guess maybe I, I don't want to be unfair to some of these authors who are, who are looking at the negative because that maybe the negative does kind of push us in the right direction or shock us enough into the right direction. Um, uh, but I do think sometimes, though, on the other side, it is just too easy to, to focus on the negative. Yeah. And then you kind of start getting into um, uh, like alternate timelines and everything. And then that's time travel. And I've always said in this show, time travel makes my head hurt. But, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about alternate realities and the, uh, what could have been that maybe by writing these stories, we are defining an alternate timeline for ourselves and, you know, and changing the course of, of history. Um, right. Now, you did a lot of, you know, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, Philip K. Dick has just been so popular now for for so long. And I always kind of am amused because some of his thoughts, uh, his visions are are just so incredible and so ahead of, you know, everything else. And but a lot of it kind of turned out, you know, sort of bleak or something, whereas I'm always thinking that would be awesome. They went to Mars or you could implant a vacation in your head, you know, like like in the movie, the the, the Total Recall movie, for example, um, uh, you know. I always think, hey, that's that's pretty cool, you know. So, uh, yeah, anyway, something like that would be pretty cool because I, I hate to travel. So if I could just take a vacation, <laughs> not have to go anywhere. Or what I'm always saying is, I want my Star Trek future and I want it now because I want transporters. I want to be able to instantly get somewhere and avoid, tri- you know, planes, trains, automobiles, the whole spiel. Uh, I just want to go somewhere. I don't want to have to get there. Right, right. Who knows? Maybe we'll have like. Uh, the you know in twenty years the driverless cars or the those Futurama type tubes and uh, and that'll be close enough in a sense you know not quite having a transporter but uh, close enough we can enjoy ourselves yeah I mean to physically get somewhere because right now we can like with the wonders of the internet we can kind of mentally transfer transport ourselves anywhere but you know to get physically get there and see and experience things that will be the next step I guess in our future uh, progression. Right. Now, you did mention that you, know, you were talking about books, and I see that you, you wrote a book. You have one on Amazon. Can you uh, kind of tell me what, yeah, what that's about? Um, well, uh, the book is called Love in the Time of Caller ID. Thanks for bringing it up. It was something I wanted to write. It's not for everyone because um, even though I say the world will get better, uh, there is a lot of uh, sort of sex and violence in there. And it's uh, really the, the, the crux of the story is um, uh, is this person creates uh, an app uh, that, be, that becomes extremely popular. But he created the app because um, it, it jumped from person to person. You know, like it could be on my phone and if I'm next to you, it'll hop onto your phone and then it'll hop onto another person's phone, almost like a, a smartphone virus in a sense. But he did that because he wanted to take the processing power from every phone. And each time it hopped to a new phone, it sent out a signal into space. He hoped to call aliens. That's what had happened. And in, in the end, the uh, the alien does get his call and then visits Earth. 
Well, yeah, that's certainly an interesting concept. I mean, just harnessing. I mean, I, I know they're already kind of doing that now with. Um, I forgot the name of the project, but uh, you know, you can uh, hook your computer up and it'll take your idle processing power and use it to, uh, you know, look for a cure for cancer or look for signs of life in the universe. Uh, and uh, think about how many smartphones are out there in you know all over the world now, and to do something like that and harness their power because most of the time, you know, unless it's somebody like me who's almost constantly on his phone it was just kind of sitting there idle and to harness that uh, processing power to you know look for life out there it seems like an interesting concept right i mean that was the uh, i even referenced the cd um search for extraterrestrial uh life in the uh, in the book itself uh, yeah, and I saw that, and in, 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 you know, now I'm kind of, if I can kind of get some of my other reading done, I should sit down and read that one because it just kind of, you know, it, it it kind of teases the mind a little bit about what could be, you know, what could be, and you know, and you never really spelled out what the alien does. It sounds like that could be an interesting part of the book too, but <laughs> right, that could be the next one. Okay, and you know, I've, I've tried. Um, I've got a, a, a separate podcast I do, and I've tried to write uh, a science fiction story in there, and you know, it's not easy. So anybody that can kind of make a convincing, you know, uh, work, um, especially science fiction, you know, I'll, I'll give you credit for that because I, I I can picture the stuff in my head, but get it from my head on the paper, that's a completely different process. So you know, I'm I'm glad that you were able to, you know, get one out. Right. It is. Uh, um, I don't recommend uh, writing as a living. Uh, no, I mean, uh, talking is hard enough for me some days to try and put it in written form. That would be would be tough. But, um, um, you, you know, was there anything else that you kind of wanted to bring up or talk about while we were here? Or, you know, your maybe views of, uh, you know, do you have any, you want to go out on a limb and make any predictions about what you see in the future? Um, no, I, I think the only thing, uh, is that, um, so many of our technologies are becoming, um, so miniaturized that I think will, uh, people will begin altering their bodies and minds in a level where it may make us sort of unrecognizable in two generations, so I mean, uh, body modifications taken to the next level, then. Right. I mean that that seems to me like the more obvious the obvious one. Um, I I don't know about any of these uh, more uh, physical based technologies that we talked about earlier, like transporters and flying cars. Those it's hard for me to imagine those those happening even in the twenty first century. Well, maybe if people start, you know, modifying their bodies and they start, you know, you know, internalizing the computers, maybe that'll be the next step on our road to the singularity if that ever happens. Um, possibly. I don't know if if it's necessarily the computing power that um, that will allow that to happen. But I suppose if we could uh, ingest little computers or or, or machinery, nanotechnology. If that could sort of maybe save an essence of us, we could then implant that in someone else and then someone else and then the person can walk around with the essences of 10 people, for example. Um, I think one of the 
later Dune books considered that idea, and uh, uh, so that's 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 a possibility of of one way of living forever is uh, part of you just sort of literally goes into another person. Well, you know what I would like to do to augment myself would be. Um I'm one of those people I can remember faces, but I can't remember names. So I basically I want kind of like an internal Google Glass that uh, so when I meet somebody, it can uh, scan this person's face, recognize it, bring up all the pertinent information about them, and then I can stand there and talk, not look like an idiot because I can't remember who it is I'm talking to. <laughs> right, right. That I, you know what that probably is no more than ten or twenty years away. I bet you. I mean, we already have Google Glass. Yeah, so I mean, if they could get it to the point where it's like a contact lens, or maybe uh, you know, a um, taking your eye out and putting a computerized eye in there with a better camera and uh, all this technology built in, there we go. Hey, we right. better, we better patent this idea. <laughs> you should you should get on that. Uh, there's probably some big money in that in the next twenty years. Well, you know those who can't uh, those who can do those who can't patent apparently. But uh, <laughs> right. Uh, so, did you have like I said? Did you have any other closing thoughts you wanted to throw out there, or uh, or you know, or if you don't have anything else, uh, you know, you want to say? Do you just want to tell people where they can find you and you know what, all the stuff that you do do? Um, uh, thanks, Mike. Most of my stuff, uh, is at readwrite.com. Uh, it's just Brian S. Hall at readwrite.com. Um, I, I do like to write about, uh, science fiction and how it influences our, our culture and our current technology. It's also fun to, uh, think of what they got wrong and, and, and what they got right and, how, how we can mix old and new technologies together. I, I think those are always fun topics, and I, I try to write about them a lot. Well, like I said, I found the, some of your articles quite interesting, even the ones that weren't you know absolutely tech-related. Um, you know, I just um, uh, was looking through some of them, and you know, it, it's interesting stuff, especially for somebody who's uh, you know, uh, uh, tech, a tech person like me. I'm just looking at all of those, and um, a lot of things to think about, but you know, I, I thank you for your time and coming on here, and uh, you know, and I hope that uh, you know you had a good time, and I hope a lot of people listening to this find it interesting, and well, you know, seek out your work, and uh, uh, you know, and, and think about some of the things that we discussed tonight. Yep, I, I uh, had a great time, and uh, hopefully, it does prompt some thinking, and maybe uh, someone will sit down and write the next great science fiction book. Cool. Well. Um, that wraps up with this, this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at scifitechtalk.com or follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have any ideas or comments, please send them to scifitechtalk at gmail.com. And, review, and reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Uh, and you can find me at uh, DSC Chipman on Twitter or I have an about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. That's M-C-P-E-E-K. And that's it for this show, and we'll see you in the future. It's the sci-fi tech